on a Sunday morning in Las Vegas. And if you don't know what that means, you either have to stop drinking or you are probably listening to the wrong show. If you're unsure of the time, it's just after 8 o'clock. I'm Spencer the Wiz, filling in for Brian Feldman, and this is Out of Line. If you are listening for the first time, we are here live, same place every week on Fox Sports Radio, 98.9 FM and 1340 AM, flagship of the Vegas Golden Knights. Here with me is uh, fill-in co-host Christian Wynn. You can follow him on Twitter at Christian Wynn. Also part of the show in social distancing, back in the Fox Sports Residential Bank Corp studio uh, is uh, Chris Magnum Chapman. He'll be on in just a second to talk about the Golden Knights. The show is also streaming on the LV Sports Network, and you can watch the show on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. You just got to look up Adeline on YouTube, at Adeline Fox LV on Twitter, and uh, if you Brian personal. Uh, okay, sorry. No, we're, we're good. Sorry about that. And uh, okay. s- since you, uh, since we are live, your calls and questions are welcome. The Fox Sports Residential Bank Corp Studio line is 702-876-1340. Hi, this is Bubby, and it's time for What's on Tap. What's on Tap brought to you by our title sponsor, Residential Bank Corp. Uh, whether purchasing a new home or refinancing the home you already own, Residential Bank Corp is the company to turn to for all your home financing needs. Residential Bank Corp, funding America one neighborhood at a time. On tap, I'm going to ask the crew if they think the Golden Knights actually have the capability to win a Stanley Cup. The Las Vegas Raiders are now 2-0 in the preseason to go along with the controversial decision not too long ago. We'll talk about Katie's recent conversation with Draymond Green and out of line has not yet talked about Westbrook joining the Lakers. So I thought we'd do that. If you're looking to buy a home or refinance the home you currently own, choose a company you can trust. Residential Bank Corp, funding America one neighborhood at a time. And before we go into uh, nightcap, Chris, how's it going? Thanks for joining the show. It's great to be here, Wiz. Awesome. Uh, hey, there's no shortage of, of topics in sports, right? When you're talking about Vegas, I mean, even just this weekend, Wiz and, and Mags, we had all kinds of action across the board. UFC, a boxing match here in town, and, of course, what we're going to get into regarding the NFL, with the NFL preseason in full swing, and uh, obviously, you know, off-season moves in the NBA, always fun to talk about. Magnum, I want to uh, check back with you in the studio. How are things going out there? They're good, and, and Chris forgot to mention SummerSlam, which was in town last night. A uh, attendance of over fifty-one thousand at uh, Allegiant Stadium last night. Rowdy, without 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 uh, question, right, Mags? I mean, it was it was kind of crazy down there, and uh, I did see a couple clips, some uh, video clips. I think the John Cena entrance as well, too, and a couple other things. So it was pretty cool to see. Yeah, I'm not a huge huge wrestling fan like i don't watch it religiously like i did when i was like 19 20 years old but uh it was kind of cool first time i've ever been to a, a, an event that big and uh yeah it was it was pretty pretty wild lots of people there and it, and it was cool i mean i'm i i'm i'm glad that they they decided they're going to come back for another pay-per-view i think in july of next year money in the bank which they announced last night at the event but uh yeah john cena pretty pretty big entrance and you know, it, it's kind of funny. I think the, the WWE fans, when John Cena comes out, are as divided as uh, Democrats and Republicans in this country because it seems like there's a lot of uh, dislike between uh, half the fans and John Cena and the other half seem to love him. Well, yeah, he's had a lot of a few controversial stances from what I understand pretty recently. But uh, we'll go ahead and jump right into Nightcap. We'll talk about Vegas's maybe favorite team, maybe not. I guess we'll see depending how the season goes. Hockey players, as you know, are warriors. They don't give up. They come to play every game. It's time for Nightcap, a cup full of the Vegas Golden Knights. From highlights to interviews to special events, the puck starts here. Well, the puck technically hasn't started yet, and it's a quite a ways away, but I do want to talk about the Golden Knights, and I'm going to just do this you know, round-robin style, ask you guys what you guys think about the Vegas Golden Knights. I'll just tell you quickly, and this is kind of how I'll phrase it for you, I don't think the Knights have a chance to win a Stanley Cup. In my mind, they've had the best roster, top to bottom, maybe not the, the top guy, like our best players and better than the best players won the Stanley Cup, but you want to look at the all four lines, by far the most talented team, and they haven't been able to get it done. And that's because they don't have the juice. I know that's kind of a theoretical way of saying it, but if you look at it from a holistic standpoint, no one gets them over the hump and that energy that is needed. So I'll start with Chris Wynn. What do you, what do you think about the Golden Knights? We all know how good they are, but can they actually do it? Oh, there's no question they can absolutely win a Stanley Cup. So I would disagree with you, Wiz, there on that. Look, the juice. I mean, I get you say it's a philosophical term, the juice. 
I guess maybe, but that's kind of a thing that it's not really measurable, right? We don't really know. When we look at this Vegas Golden Knights team on paper and what we've seen on the ice, they've had unprecedented success, obviously, in their first uh, four years on the ice, and it's pretty crazy. And we're going into another season where they, from a talent standpoint, you even pointed that out, Wiz, from a talent standpoint, they're absolutely right there. Okay, we're talking about a team in their division. along Them, along with the probably the Oilers, are probably the two best teams in the division that that they're going to be uh, dealing with on a regular basis. And I think they, obviously, we've seen what they've been able to do, you know, even in the last two seasons, get pretty deep into the playoffs. And, and we've seen the results. Yes, they haven't got to, 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 they haven't been able to hoist the Stanley Cup, but it's still a, a very good hockey club. And Pete DeBoer, you know, is, is a solid coach. Um, I've had my differences with Pete as far as, uh, you know, some decisions that he's made and, and some of the approaches that he's taken. That being said, I don't think there's any question. Now, you think you think about teams in the Western Conference, the Vegas Golden Knights are going to be one of those teams that's going to be talked about that can win a Stanley Cup. Magnum, how do you feel about this uh, Golden Knights team going into next season? Well, I'm with Chris. I mean, I think they absolutely have the, the capability to win the Stanley Cup. Look, hockey is not like the NFL. It's not like basketball. It's not like the NBA where you have a team that you're like, oh, yeah, like these guys are absolutely going to dominate. You don't really get that in the NHL. Yeah, the Tampa Bay Lightning have gone back to back. It took a little bit of cap finagling last year for the for the Lightning to be in position to win that Stanley Cup. Uh, they've lost a couple pieces this year, so you know we'll, we'll see how they fare without a couple of their better players, at that, that Yanni Gord and uh, Tyler Johnson. Uh, you know, I, I, I think hockey, because there's so much parity, you look at you look at the NHL and you're like, all right, there's about five or six teams that you know absolutely will stink. Then you have about five or six teams that you're like, yeah, these guys are going to be really, really good. I look at the Golden Knights. I look at the Colorado Avalanche. I look at the Boston Bruins. I think the Lightning are in that discussion. Then you have a bunch of teams in the middle and you're like, you know what? These guys could be contenders or they could be pretenders. Like I, I look at a team like the New York Rangers. They went out. They made a couple big offseason moves. They, they hired Gerard Gallant. Obviously, now Ryan Reeves, a member of the New York Rangers. They have a young core of players led by Alexis Lafreniere. They're in that mix of, are they in the mix or are they not a, a team that can win the Stanley Cup? So I, I think the parity alone in the NHL gives the Golden Knights a real opportunity to be in that discussion to win the Stanley Cup. Will they? I, I don't know. They are the best team in the Pacific Division. I don't think there's any debate about that. The question becomes, do they have enough offensive firepower because that's been what's doomed them the last two seasons losing to Montreal lack of goal scoring losing to the Dallas Stars lack of goal scoring it wasn't goaltending it wasn't defense I know people are going to look at the flurry flub that he had I don't think that defined the series maybe people look at it it was one game the Golden Knights certainly had an opportunity to win that game even after the flurry mistake they didn't the question I have is can this team find a way to score goals in the playoffs when it's crunch time, because the last two years, they haven't been able to do that. And that's why they have not won a Stanley Cup. Yeah, uh, no, I, I agree with you. But I mean, obviously, you have to score goals to win games in hockey. That's just the nature of the game. But who one specific player would you guys single out and say, like, they have to be better? Like, I think Mark Stone's the easy answer, but I feel like it goes beyond him. I mean, I think he played solid, you know, defensively, passing wise, being disruptive. So you, he just simply has to, you know, score more goals for this team to be successful. Who outside of him has to be that kind of iconic player for the Golden Knight that's going to get them over the hump? Because when you look at that year that they lost in the Stanley Cup, Ovechkin like owned that team, and he was the guy who played above everybody else. Who else on the Golden Knights can possibly do that in order, you know, to get them over where they've been now? Well, when I think about that question, guys, immediately I think about young players that you want to see continue to get better, right, and continue to make their mark in the NHL. And so immediately my my thought process goes to a guy like Alex Tuck. I think Alex Tuck, if he can keep, continue to emerge and turn into the type of player that I think he can be, which is one of the top power forwards in the NHL, right, a guy that can be a big-time difference maker, someone that can you know light the lamp on a regular basis and, and up his scoring output and up his productivity, uh, with the Golden Knights. I think he is a guy that's a big key for me. And I'm going to be very interested, too, and I want to get uh, Mags' take as well as George Wiz on this, is how Pete DeBoer handles this defensive uh, lineup, right? The, the, these defensemen, how this all shakes out, because 
obviously they're getting a steal when it comes to a guy like a Zach Whitecloud. If they're paying him, I think just under eight hundred grand a year for a guy who is clearly worth much more than that. George McPhee has got to be dancing in the streets right now thinking about what they're paying for Zach Whitecloud. But it's going to be very interesting to me to see what DeBoer does as far as his defensive pairings coming up in 2021-22 as far as uh, how they, that all shakes out and the Golden Knights take the approach on that. Well, I don't think they change too much in, in the blue line. I think you're going to see Petrangelo up on that first line. Uh, I believe he's probably going to be um, on the first line. I think Shea Theodore and Brady McNabb will be your second line. I think Zach Whitecloud and Nick Haig will be your, your third pairing defenseman. Uh, as far as the, to answer Wiz's question, I think the the guy who you really needed to step up and, and you need to step up is a guy who's been here since year one. He's kind of like the original misfit. He's, he's, I think, the heart and soul of the team. And you know what what what, what I like about Jonathan Marcheseau is there's moments where he is the, the, the guy who carries this franchise, but it hasn't quite worked out in those conference finals. The last two years where Marcheseau has been able to put the team on his back, He's a guy who puts the target on his back. If everyone remembers year one in Winnipeg, it was Jonathan Marcheseau who basically said, you know what? We weren't good enough. We need to be better. I'm going to be better. And sure enough, game two, he led the charge for this team to win four straight against the Winnipeg Jets. He did it in in multiple playoff series where he just said, you know what? I'm the guy who's going to carry the team. Yeah, Mark Stone is the easy guy to, to, to say. And absolutely, Mark Stone needs to be better because Mark Stone was not his very best in the series against Montreal, Max Pacioretty, I think, is another guy. I know, I know Wiz is uh, a big Max Pacioretty fan as he shakes his head, I can see, on, on the screen there. But, yeah, Pacioretty and Marcheseau, I think, are the guys who, who kind of need to be better. Now, I'm willing to give Pacioretty a little bit of a pass because he missed a bunch of time heading into the playoffs. I think where Vegas is going to be a lot better this season is on the third line. Unfortunately, you have Alex Tuck, who's going to be on the injured list for quite a bit of time to start the season. But once he gets back into the lineup, if he can stay healthy, the third line is, and and I I feel like a broken record because I say this every year and it never comes true. The third line is going to be the best third line this team has ever had, and it never seems to happen. It seems like you have the possibility for that to be the case this year with with Nick Waugh at center, Yatias Yamark, who will be back. And, of course, Alex Tuck, who, when he comes back from injury, I think right now you have Dodonoff on that third line. I think you have you have some options where maybe you can move Riley Smith down to the third line and put Dodonoff up on the second line with Jonathan Marcheseau and William Carlson and say, hey, you know what? Be that 25-goal scorer that you were with the Florida Panthers. We're throwing out last year in Ottawa. Ottawa is where careers go to die. It's not where guys go to extend their careers. Dodonoff had some some complications last year with his family being unable to come to Ottawa because of the Canadian border situation. So he spent the entire season in Canada away from his wife and kids. It's a lot different this year. I hope and I think we're going to see a better version of uh, Dodonoff than we saw with, with Ottawa. I think we're going to see a little bit more of the guy he was in Florida. And if he's on that second line with William Carlson and Jonathan Marshall, so it opens up a lot for him. And he may be in line to have a really, really productive season remains to be seen. I still like the idea of bumping Riley Smith down and having him play with Alex Tuck and Nick Waugh or with Tia Smith. Yeah, Mark for the time being that remains to be seen, but I like having that two guys who are shut down defensemen, defensive forwards and Nick Waugh and Riley Smith on that line. And then you have your guy who has capability to go score goals and Matthias. Yeah, Mark. We'll see. I like that Pete DeBoer has a lot of options, but to answer the question in a long winded way, I think it's Jonathan Marsha. So, it probably has to be. And uh, you talked about that misfit line a little bit, and I, we'll end up t- uh, finishing this conversation with Peter, Pete DeBoer, but I, I hate sentiment in sports. I feel like there's no value in it. You know, it's good for marketing the misfit line, but who cares? I mean, whatever is best for the team to win. And we talked about Peter DeBoer just a little bit, you know, uh, during our conversation here, but I want to finish with him because a lot of fans had a lot of uh, issue when he was hired. Personally, I think he's doing a great job. I don't think any decisions he made has you know, made the team worse, which is pretty much all you can ask for a coach to do. What are your general impressions? I mean, to say he's on a hot seat is probably like not true, but this city is hungry for a Stanley Cup, and they feel like they probably should have been there at least one more time so far. So where do you feel where he stands with the franchise? How long do you think his leash is going to be? Like, is it three seasons or not? 
well, obviously, if they miss the playoffs, they'll, you know, probably fire him. But if they make the playoffs and lose in the first round, is that enough to get him out? Like, where do you guys stand on that? When it comes to the climate of NHL coaches, I think he stands on pretty firm ground regarding, uh, you know, his situation here in Las Vegas. Now, look, as you pointed out, if there are some extraordinary circumstances where they just have a horrendous season, don't make the playoffs after being, you know, basically an expansion team the first four seasons and being so, so, uh, so successful that they're able to make the playoffs and be relevant. And if uh, that goes south this year, obviously all bets are off. But in my own personal opinion, as someone who was absolutely, positively not a fan of the hire at all, okay, and thought it was completely ridiculous, you know, that Gerard Gallant was fired in the first, but it was let go in the first place. And then you had the wacky circumstances of, you know, one of the premier rival, if not the premier rival, the premier rival of the Golden Knights. You hire the coach from that team and you bring him in here. I thought it was kind of crazy how this all shook out. But in the end, at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, when you use whatever you know phrase you want to use, it's worked out, I think, pretty well for the Vegas Golden Knights on that front. But uh, yeah, I think that, I think Pete DeBoer. I think he's a. Do I think he's the best coach in the NHL? No, not by any stretch of the imagination. But I do think he's a good coach, and I think that uh, w- with this situation here in Las Vegas, with this roster, and uh, and moving forward, I do think they have a good chance to win a Stanley Cup. And so I think that he's going to be on even more solid ground as we roll into the season. So, you know, I'm going to take a different stance because I think right or wrong, Pete DeBoer is on the hot seat. This is a franchise which has proven to be impatient. This is a, fa- a fan base which is, well, they, they seem to be impatient. Like you said, Chris, they're hungry for a winner. Pete DeBoer has taken this team to two straight conference finals. I think they have to take the, the next step and get to a Stanley Cup final or the, the, the ground becomes a lot more shakier. Here's the thing. that, that Like I said, right or wrong, and I'm, I'm going to say it's wrong if Pete DeBoer is on the hot seat, but in reality, I think he is because of this reason. The shelf life of coaches in the NHL is not very long. This isn't the NFL where guys are given three, four years to build something, and then in year four, you're expected to go out and, and compete for a Super Bowl. This is a franchise which was already built to win a Stanley Cup. I think the, the, the numbers don't lie. Pete DeBoer has been the best or one of the best coaches in the NHL record and points-wise since he took over this team. The problem is they've stubbed their toe in the conference finals two straight years to teams that, I'm going to be honest, were inferior to the Golden Knights on paper. And I think, like I said, right or wrong, and I and I don't believe it's right, I think it's kind of wrong, but I think the ground is shaky. And if this team gets out to a slow start, and maybe teams like Seattle and Edmonton and Vancouver seem to have the upper hand on the Golden Knights, I don't think this team would hesitate to make a change because, as I said, they've proven that they are an impatient group of, of, of people in the, in, in the organization. They want to win now. They believe they have a team capable of winning now. And like I said, I, I, I don't know if, if that should be the case. I don't think it I should. Actually, let me fix that. I don't think it should be the case, but I believe it is a case. I will say this. I also... I, I like Pete DeBoer. I think he's he's a really good coach. And I was not disappointed at all that he was the guy that was hired. I have stated from day one, though, I was extremely disappointed in the manner in which Gerard Gallant was fired and then Pete DeBoer subsequently hired. I was not a fan of doing it on game two of an East Coast road trip in Ottawa at 7 a.m. Vegas time when there's no members of the media except David Shane from the LVRJ who is with the team in Ottawa. That was the the issue I had. I had zero issue. If the team didn't feel like Gerard Gallant was, was the guy to get them to the next level, you know what? Fine. If they felt Pete DeBoer was the guy to bring them to the next level, fine. I don't, I don't care who's the coach of the team. I'm not a fan of the team. I cover the team. I'd like to see the team be successful, but there are certain things that, that do irk me as a member of the media, and that was one of them. And I, I've stated that from day one. And But like I said, I think the ground is a little shaky. If this team gets out to a slow start, I would not be shocked in the least if changes are made. And a quick note, too, Wiz, and, and to Mags, we've been talking about the Golden Knights here for 15, 20 minutes, right? We haven't even talked about the goaltending situation, right? It is a major transition in the goaltending situation. We're going from a guy who's going to be looked at as, you know, was the face of this franchise for the first four years on the ice 
no longer on the team. This is now a, a put-up-or-shut-up time for Robin Leonard. Okay, he's the number one guy now. There's no number one and 1A or, or you know, put him in whatever order you want to do with, with Marc-Andre Fleury and Robin Leonard. This is Robin Leonard's team now, and his, his success is going to be a huge part of whether the Golden Knights win a No doubt. So, yeah, we, I, we talked about the goalie situation, talked about the coaching situation, mm-hmm. the team overall. That was a, a really good conversation, I think, about the Golden Knights. But it is time to transition over to the other Las Vegas team, the Raiders, who, before we go into the preseason game, mm-hmm. we'll talk about their big decision. They're the first NFL team to require people to be vaccinated in order to go to Raider football games. I'm not sure how I feel, so I'm going to bounce to you guys first. I mean, it's a huge decision. Controversial, definitely. I don't know if it should be. Who knows? But uh, we'll start with Chris Wynn. What do you think about their uh, you know, bold kind of move here well i think it's absolutely bull but i also think it's the right decision and if as long as people are listening to public health experts and you know those that actually know something about something as opposed to other people who don't know anything regarding covid19 the the you know the transmission ability how you know how prevalent it is out there and make taking safe precautions and steps so that we can get out of the pandemic so we can get back to having full football stadiums we can get back to having full arenas if 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 organizations whether it's the raiders or anybody else uh are making decisions based on you know information they're getting from people that are in the know i'm down with it i'm all for it and so i think i'm i'm gonna i personally myself personally think it's the right move and it's and it's obviously something that's been piggybacked right and you're starting to see other entities whether it's in sports or whether it's in entertainment pretty much going along the same direction now is it going as fast as some of us would like probably not but at the same time i think that uh you're going to see uh, a number of other organizations and you've already started to see a couple regarding uh the nfl the nba the nhl and across the board major league baseball maybe uh not not necessarily major league baseball because you're talking about outdoor venues but the point being is that it's, it was i thought you know the correct decision and uh and we'll see exactly how it all shakes out regarding the fan acceptance of it, right, and whether or not that has a uh, either a positive or negative impact from a bottom line standpoint for the Las Vegas Raiders organization moving forward. Yeah, I'm I'm with you, Chris. I I think it was the right decision, and I know some people have, like I think the New Orleans Saints are doing a where you you are either fully vaccinated and you prove it, or you have a negative test from within 72 hours. Here's the thing with those tests within 72 hours: a lot can happen within. 72 hours. I, I can speak from the the knowledge of having an idea of what happened in Tokyo with the Olympics. In order to board the flight to go to Tokyo, you needed to have a negative test within 72 hours. Fine. You show up, you give them, you, you prove that you, you have the negative test or you're fully vaccinated. Then when you land in Tokyo, they give you another test. There were multiple people who tested positive when they arrived in Tokyo that were not positive when they got on that plane or when they took that test within the 72 hours. I went to Japan in October. I was one of nine people on my flight. Think about that. Nine people. That's only three times the amount of us doing this show that were on my flight going to Tokyo. I had to have the negative test. I had to test negative when I landed, and then I had to quarantine for two weeks, which was okay because I was with my wife in Yokohama, but that that's irre- irrelevant to this conversation. I mean, it's relevant, but it's not really that relevant. I think the, the, the issue is a lot can happen within those 72 hours. Look, I could test negative right now and go to a bar and hang out with a bunch of unvaccinated people, and guess what? There's a chance I'm going to get the virus despite being vaccinated and I could still test positive. So the the thing is the the, the negative tests I, I never felt were a really good gauge of of where we're at. It's I think what we know is if you're vaccinated, the likelihood of you having a serious reaction to this virus is much smaller. Nobody ever claimed it was a miracle cure. Nobody ever claimed you were going to be 100% from the very beginning you were reading if you if you actually read and not looked at memes or YouTube, you were aware of the fact that okay, it's ninety to ninety five percent effective. If you look at the numbers of people who've had breakthrough uh, infections, it's a very small number compared to the amount of people who have been vaccinated. So I think it's the right decision. Look, 
it, it shouldn't be a political issue. The issue is some people have made it a political issue, getting vaccinated. I, I, I don't understand the, I'm not going to take the vaccine, but I'm going to take a, 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 a treatment for livestock instead because I don't know what's in the vaccine, but I'm going to take something that's given to horses and, and, and sheep and cows. That blows me away. But the reality is I think we're going to see a lot more teams do what the Raiders have done where, look, you're either fully vaccinated or you're not coming in. I don't, I don't have an issue with that. Where it gets a little dicey is the refund issue, and the Raiders have said, look, we'll give you a refund. New Orleans Saints are not offering refunds to their fans who refuse to get the vaccine or who don't want to do the, the negative tests. That's fine for, for, for the people who are going to go in, but it does raise an issue for people who don't want to go in. One more thing on that. I think we are going to move to a point in this society where they say, look, it's already happening in other places around the country. If you're not vaccinated, you're not going to a restaurant. You're not going to a movie theater. You're not coming to a show. You're not going to a sporting event. I think we're going to start to see more of that. Again, it, it becomes a political issue because I think the states that have taken it serious from the beginning are going to move in that direction. Then you have buffoons like the guy in Florida who is ordering ventilators because he doesn't have enough. In the meantime, telling people hey, everything's fine. He's like the guy in Baghdad when, when, when the United States was, bom- oh, everything's fine, everything's fine. Meanwhile, behind the scenes, you're seeing bombs dropped behind him and, and buildings burning. I think the Raiders made the right decision. For people who wonder why the Aces and the UNLV football team has not followed suit, I think it's a logistical thing. For the Aces, they only have three games left in the season. I don't know if it was possible for them to get everything up and running with those three games. UNLV, their season kicks off in about 10 days. The Raiders' season doesn't kick off until September 13th. They have some time to work out the logistics of the app. And let's be honest, if they have issues with this like they had at Allegiant Stadium last night with the vending, uh, paying, uh, get the cashless because the internet went down, that could be a problem. They need to work out the logistics of it, but I think they'll be fine. I think they made the right decision, and quite honestly, I I, I think I don't think there's going to be much of blowback from fans because I think people are going to say, you know what, it's going to be FDA approved tomorrow. I think people are going to say, you know what, I'm going to go get the vaccine. I'm not going to be shunned from society. Those people who choose not to get it, you know what, that's fine. That's great. That's your choice, but just be aware there will be consequences to you not doing this. And Wiz, Mags brings up a good point regarding the financial you know, issues that they're having, whether it's the Saints or whether it's going to be the Raiders. Look, there's got to be some semblance, in my opinion, some common sense slash public relations that you have to deal with it as an organization. You know, if you're going to have people that are absolutely dead set on not getting the vaccine and are not going to be able to attend these games, you have to give them out. You have to give them ways where they can get their money refunded or other options, which financially, so they're not going to be hurt because it's going to be absolutely just a, a horror show from a PR standpoint. If you've got, you know, thousands of fans that aren't able to either unload their tickets or for whatever reason, can't get financial uh, relief when it comes to the situation. So uh, again, it, it just has to be a situation where you have to, uh, you have to be able to take care of these people on the financial end. Well, yeah. And uh, to, to end the point on how the, the whole vaccination thing to talk about, you want to be football and the aces, besides you know the logistics of making that happen they probably just can't afford to like miss any human being who wants to go you know see their game especially you know football i think the aces are gaining in popularity but if they start saying like oh certain you know v fans certain aces fan can't go to the games i mean that's just going to hurt their bottom pocket pretty bad but to continue on you know with the raiders they obviously did play their preseason game last night i'll show a couple highlights so the first one here is peterman's game winning touchdown to marcel aitman Too bad that announcer wasn't a little more excited about that play. But uh, so that put them up 17 to 10. And then the Rams went down and scored their own touchdown. And it came down to a two point conversion because there's ties in the preseason. They won't go to overtime. And this was the uh, winning defensive play that got them the 16, the 17, 16 win. For the lead. Perkins. Harris. Can't get it. So overall, I think it was a pretty decent game for the Raiders. I don't know if you guys were able to watch. Uh, to me, like the biggest question of the preseason 
overall, you know, besides the small positional battles that most people don't hear about, and a few guys like Hobbs, I think, had a really nice game, the six round pick, uh, the corner that we had. I thought he's able to, you know, read plays very well. He's very good at tackling, had a few uh, good coverages. But it's Nathan Peterman. I mean, he is the story of the preseason for this team, as small of a storyline as it is. What I think in my mind that, you know, the front office wanted and what John Gruden wants. They want Nathan Peterman to be the backup quarterback so that he can get rid of Marcus Mariota via a trade. And they want to like see if they can instill that kind of confidence that if Derek Carr's go down, that their season isn't completely derailed. Because in their mind, they think they can make the playoffs. I'm not sure how I feel that way. But from what you've seen from Nathan Peterman so far, guys, how do you feel about him? Do you feel like you know he could take the realms as the, the backup quarterback to maybe get you a win here or there, even if it's just for one or two games? Or are they stuck with Marcus Mariota for the time being? I thought he was solid. Look, the preseason we've seen the the, the long the laundry list is long of quarterbacks that are superstars, you know, in the preseason, and then basically just don't do anything when it comes to regular season football. So, I mean, you can take it for what it's worth regarding that. And Nate Peterman, we've seen Nate Peterman what the the Raiders organization has felt about him over the past four or five seasons, right? As far as him as a quarterback, so. Uh, you're, you're, to your point, Wiz, as far as uh, whether or not he's good enough to be the backup, he's going, he's going to be the backup. If they do trade Marcus Mariota, he will be the guy that backs up Derek Carr here in Las Vegas. So um, I guess it's I guess the, the the fair question is, do you think that he could actually you know be somebody that could actually win football games in the regular season for the Raiders? That remains a, a very big question mark, and I don't know. I, I My answer, obviously, is I don't know on that. But uh, it was interesting to see this. I mean, look, obviously, going into the preseason with the Las Vegas Raiders, you guys, a lot of it was talked about as far as the development of the defense, right? Getting the defense better because the defense is just flat out atrocious. Let's call it what, what it was, okay? The defense is it was atrocious, okay? There's some young, nice spots there. When you talk about Max Crosby and some of these other pieces, they're, they're, they have some good young guys. But the defense has to get better, you know, come th- this season. And so a lot of focus is on that. Obviously, the focus is on, and Mags, myself, and Wiz, before the, before the show started, we talked a little fantasy football. And we're talking about this receiving core for this Las Vegas Raiders receiving core. Obviously, we think of Darren Waller as a part of that receiving core as a tight end and probably uh, at, at least the second-best tight end in football. Okay, He's there. You got him. But are these receivers going to be able to step up? So to me, I think that's another thing that needs to be addressed here in the preseason. I think we need to see what this receiving core can do with the departures of guys like Tyrell, Tyrell Williams and some others that have left. And now you bring in, you know, Nelson Aguilar, et cetera. You bring in some guys. Well, I want to see what this receiving core can do. So that's things that have kind of, you know, come to the forefront in my mind regarding this Las Vegas Raiders team here in preseason. Yeah, to answer your question, Wiz, I don't think Nathan Peterman is going to be the backup quarterback because I think if this team was actively trying to shop Marcus Mariota because, I, from you know, we heard some of it going into the preseason – that he was a guy that a lot of teams might be interested in. If they were interested in shopping him, they'd be playing him to show him off. He's not playing. I think he's solidly going to be the number two guy. We'll probably see a little bit of Derek Carr next week, I'm guessing, in the third preseason game. Remember, there's only three preseason games this season. There's no longer that fourth game. The third game was always kind of like the dress rehearsal. This is the game where, where I think we'll see some star players for the Raiders. Look, I don't worry about their offense. I look at Josh Jacobs. He's, he's a good running back. Uh, obviously, adding Kenyon Drake adds a new element or new wrinkle to the offense. I think the receivers will be fine. Like Chris Winston said, uh, Darren Waller, arguably the second best tight end in the NFL, of course, after Travis Kelsey. He's in that discussion with George Kittle, I think, to be the number two tight end in the league. Henry Ruggs is going to have to step up. I think Zay Jones is a guy who who we hear a lot. Obviously, if if you paid attention to what was going on in the practices with the Rams during the week, uh, Hunter Renfro was a guy who had a really, really solid two days of practice against the Rams. He beat Jalen Ramsey a few times, and uh, Derek Carr was able to connect. Look, I think offensively the Raiders are going to be fine. I, I am a big fan of Derek Carr. I think he's a guy who, for some reason, gets crapped on. Maybe, maybe a little too much. It's you know, may, I, and I guess that's just the way it is in the NFL, right? If your team's not very good, it's the quarterback who takes the heat. The reality is, even when the Raiders are not very good, Derek Carr's been a solid top 15 quarterback in the league. The Raiders can win with Derek Carr. Where I worry about the Raiders is I worry about the defensive side of the ball. I think they've made some additions, obviously bringing in Yannick Ngakwe is going to be good. Gerald McCoy, another big name. Uh, the secondary is what worries me, I think, because I, I'm not, I, I have not seen anything from Jonathan Abram to make me say he's a, he's a guy who this team can rely on. I haven't seen anything from, from Damon Arnett 
to make me say this guy is the guy that, that they're going to rely on to win a lot of games. Obviously, the sample size is small. I'm not saying those guys can't be the players that the Raiders were hoping when they drafted them, but we've seen two seasons of, well, we'll, we'll say one season of each guy. Obviously, the, the first season for Abram doesn't really count because he got hurt in the first game of the season, but I think defensively, the Raiders are going to have a really good defensive line. Obviously, man, Max Crosby, he's a guy who, who who should really step up. I think a lot of people are going to sleep on Carl Nassib. I think he's going to have a pretty decent season for the Raiders. Uh, linebackers, I think they're fine. Obviously, Javen White is a guy that we follow a, a bit, and he was injured last night. We'll have to wait and see. The good news, and I guess I'm, I'm not going to say it's good news. He came back to the field, and he was on crutches, which makes me believe it was not a super Serious knee injury because if it was like a torn MCL or ACL, he's probably not coming back out on the sidelines to watch the rest of the game. So I think if if there is a silver lining, maybe it's that. But this team is going to win and die based on what their defense does. And I think they're going to get a lot of pressure on the quarterback. I think they're going to have a lot of sacks. Can they stop the run? And can they stop teams from throwing the ball when, they, when they're able to get in that rhythm? That's the, the, that's the key for me. Because I think if the Raiders have a top 13, top 12 type defense, they're solidly a playoff team. I know a lot of people are sleeping on them. They think the Chargers are going to be better. They will be. The Raiders should be in that mix to finish second or third behind the Chiefs. Look, this team was very close to beating Kansas City twice last season. They did beat them once, and they were very close to beating them again. They won some big games. They beat the Saints last year on Monday night. So they were in a bunch of games that they lost. This is a team that is not terrible. I think a lot of people are kind of sleeping on them, right? Oh, the well, the Broncos could finish ahead of them. Look, the Broncos don't have a quarterback. They stink. The Chargers, I, I guess maybe they'll be in that mix, but first-year head coach, second-year quarterback, let's not just automatically anoint them the second-place team. I think second is solid there for the Raiders. They just need to show up defensively, and I think they're going to be in that conversation. So, Wiz, Mags brought him up quickly. I get, I got to get your take, okay? Henry Ruggs III, what are we going to get out of him? Because, obviously, everyone thinks, you know, glass half full, he can be the next Tyreek Hill. But, every, you know, there's other people that are skeptical and say he's just going to be, you know, he's just going to be just a guy out there. Tell me, Wiz, what, is, what are we going to get from this guy? This is a kid who had 400 yards receiving last year. We're already comparing him to Tyreek Hill. And, I, actually, for this, for this segment, this is a great uh, segue. I'm going to bring on my father who's on the road right now, uh, you know, we've already talked about how bad their defense is. It's mm -hmm. probably one of the worst. It's one of the only teams without a single Pro Bowl talent, uh, you know, player on that side. So I already know they're going to stink over there. But, Dad, you and I are not so high on their offense either. I mean, they've gotten worse in almost every facet outside of the running back position. When you look at the receiving core, they lost Nelson Aguilar, and they mm -hmm. pick up John Brown. whoop de doo I mean, geez, who is this guy? And then, and then Henry Ruggs has to step up to be wide receiver one. He had 400 yards receiving last year. Darren Waller is technically their wide receiver one. But, Dad, you you talk about this in a second. You're the one who told me that Darren Waller isn't really an active receiver on third and short situations. So it's not like he's always going to be there for this team. How do you feel about this Raiders offense, Dan? Well, in, in my opinion, we've gotten worse on offense uh, in the offseason. Uh, we, we, we've shuffled around our offensive line. We've gotten rid of guys that have, have been good in the past for us. So uh, that's yet to be seen what our offensive line is going to be like. And as far as, uh, you know, our tight end situation, yeah, he's our number one guy. But what other team in the league has a number one guy at a tight end? And, and not even Kelsey is a number one guy in Kansas City. So that, that worries me a lot. Um, they're hoping that uh, Edwards steps up, and uh, he's had a couple of good flashes, but he, he has trouble getting separation. John Brown is supposed to replace Nelson Aguilar, which I don't think is a step up. And um, Henry Ruggs is just unproven. I think I don't even think he caught 30 balls last year, and this is supposed to be our number one pick, our number one guy. I mean, if you look on fantasy, this is just a, an, an analogy. He's the number 55 wide receiver going in fantasy. How, how can that be? There's only 32 teams in the league. So we are in big <laughs> trouble. We are in big trouble. Our defense is terrible. It has not gotten better. Our defensive backfield is going to get get killed. And, and my prediction is, and I hate to say it because I'm such a big Raiders fan my whole life, 
we're, we're the fourth best team in the West. I'm sorry, but all the other teams have improved, and we have gotten worse. I couldn't, I couldn't help but agree with you there, Dad. I mean, picking uh, Henry Ruggs over Jerry Judy, Justin Jefferson, and CeeDee Lamb is going to go down as one of the all-time worst decisions in Raiders history, in my opinion. All of those guys, I think, are going to have massive seasons, and hopefully it works out where he, we can get north of 400 yards from our top receiver. It's kind of embarrassing. Thanks for joining the show, Dad, talking about the Raiders and sharing you know, my pain, basically. <laughs> All right. Yeah, mine too. Thanks for having me. <laughs> All right. So we're going to keep it uh, you know, with this NFL train here. I want to talk about some of the bigger QB battles going on right now. And uh, I'm going to start by most important since we're you know a little short on time. I want to start with the Patriots. I'm going to show a couple highlights and you know show you what we got going on. Here's Cam Newton and their uh, yesterday's preseason game. To choose from for Newton on second and long. And again, good time and a pocket to step up into, and he delivers it right on the money. Into Eagles territory and down to the 32-yard. A nice strike there from Cam Newton, but Mac Jones had his own kind of day. I mean, this, this guy is as accurate as they kind of advertising Matt, and this is probably one of the best plays to, you know, display that. Both of those were NCAA records. Oh, my. Even got knocked off his mark, righted himself, and threw a fastball to Ashesky for the first down inside. So a strike there for Mac Jones. I mean, this is the most interesting, probably, preseason team of anybody in the NFL. Uh, the Bears, I think, was going into it, but for whatever reason, we'll talk about the Bears in a second. Matt Nagy seems pretty dedicated to them. But what do you feel about this? Do you think Cam Newton now like has it secured? I mean, Mac Jones really hasn't done anything to say, no, he doesn't deserve a chance at the starting job just quite yet. Yeah, you can look at it from a positive standpoint regarding Mac Jones. He's the quarterback of the future, right? He's the guy that's going to end up being the quarterback there long term. But in terms of just this season, and we're talking about, you know, we're just a matter of days away from opening the, the opening game for the Patriots, I think that Cam Newton's going to be the guy. You think about Bill Belichick, his approach to quarterbacks, to offenses, period. And I think that he understands, as I think most football people do, that Cam Newton probably at this point right now gives them the best chance to win. And so that's why I think that Cam Newton's going to end up being the guy. Uh, we can, you know, we can we can dissect and we can we can pick apart, you know, what these guys do in preseason games. And you know, you've got Mac Jones out there going against in certain situations, going against guys who, you know, in, you know, in no disrespect, but probably aren't going to be on NFL rosters, right? And going out there and and picking these defenses apart. And yes, I, there's a lot of reasons to like what you see in Mac Jones as a quarterback. I just don't think that Bill Belichick and the powers that be for the Patriots are going to put a rookie out there. Okay. Given that they have someone in Cam Newton that they, I think they, they think they can rely on. Mags. Yeah. yeah. I'm with Chris. I, I think it's Cam Newton's job. I don't think Belichick's going to throw a rookie quarterback out there. Mac Jones is a guy. Look, when he's ready to take over, he'll take over. Um, the problem is I think Cam Newton, if he's healthy, is, is a guy who can get the Patriots to the playoffs. Will they win the division? I, I don't know. Look, th that division is so weird because I'm still not a huge believer in the Buffalo Bills. Uh, I don't believe in what Miami's doing. I don't I don't think two is going to be a great quarterback for them. Uh, so I think second and maybe even first is there. Look, if, if Cam Newton is any semblance of what he was just four or five years ago, the Patriots are going to be a dangerous team. Everyone forgets they had a bunch of guys opt out last season because of the COVID situation. A lot of those guys, especially on the defensive side of the ball, are back. I think Bill Belichick has a chip on his shoulder, especially now with his former quarterback, proven that he didn't need Bill Belichick to be one of the all-time great, if not the greatest quarterback of all time. I I, I mean, look, that, that division, the Patriots own the Jets. I hate to say it as, as a lifelong suffering New York Jets fan. The Patriots own them. They own the Dolphins, and the reality is the last 20 years, they've owned the Buffalo Bills, with the exception of, what, last season? So I'm not ready to throw dirt on the on the grave of the Patriots. I think they're going to be fine. And Mac Jones, he's not the guy right now, but, I mean, I don't look at preseason against a bad team like the Eagles and say, oh, Mac Jones is all of a sudden going to be an elite quarterback, but there, there there's a chance Mac Jones could be the quarterback of this team before the end of the season. If that's the case, I think the Patriots are going nowhere fast. But the longer Mac Jones is not the quarterback of the New York Patriots or of the New England Patriots, the better it is for the New England Patriots because that means Cam Newton is playing at a very high level. 
Yeah, I think he has pushed mm-hmm. him definitely. And I like the discourse because I put a, a ticket out for the Patriots, yes, to make the playoffs. I got some plus money on that. So I want to go uh, to the next matchup here. And I did tease it a little bit. The Bears, I'll show a really impressive throw here by mm-hmm. Justin Fields. A little bit of a shaky performance overall, but take a look at this play. How he plays. Deep drop off the fake. Flick of the wrist looking for James. That's the most excited you'll ever see a team down six to 41. But uh, no, obviously it's a preseason, so it doesn't matter. Look, he had two touchdowns in his uh, debut. Justin Fields a little bit worse. I think he's like below 50% passing in a second game. But, you know, the skill set is there. And like, I don't know who would be technically better in the first season, Justin Fields or Andy Dalton. The the main point that I'm going to try to make here is how strange it is that Matt Nagy is protecting Andy Dalton like he's like Aaron Rodgers or something like that. And he refuses <laughs> to give up the role. Yeah. I mean, he was just signed this offseason. Uh, you know, where where does this like kind of like undying loyalty come from, do you think? It's a little bit strange to think about this, but I when you look at the Chicago Bears quarterback situation, I think about a lot what 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 Mags just said regarding the Patriots and their approach if, you know, they think that if, you know, they're they're going to keep him on the they're gonna, they're not going to they're not going to start him, you know, in week 1. Obviously, you're going up against one of the best defenses in the NFL in the LA Rams week 1. You really want to put a rookie quarterback out there against against the likes of Aaron Donald and you know and and, and Ramsey and these guys now. So I I think that, you know, and you just talked about how you know how much love that uh, Nagy and the coaching staff has for a, a guy, obviously, in Andy Dalton. Andy Dalton is kind of the established veteran. I, you like if you're a Bears fan hearing his mindset regarding, you know, look, he thinks that obviously Justin's going to have a great career, but this is his time now. You'd like having that out of your starting quarterback. So getting, getting back to what Mag said, though, about the Patriots, what I think is absolutely relevant regarding this Bears team, the Bears are hoping that they can keep Justin Fields on the bench as long as possible because what does that mean? It means that Andy Dalton's winning football games, right? Because there's been speculation, and whether it's Bears fans or or NFC North fans or football fans, I kept been hearing this all summer, guys, all summer long, and it's it's that you know Andy Dalton can never is not going to take any team to the promised land, and Andy Dalton can't do this, and Andy Dalton can't do that. At the same time, the Bears organization appears is absolutely solidified that this guy is going to be the man week one and hopefully bond for them. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to take a little bit of a different stance. It's funny, right? Like it sounds like I'm being hypocritical here with the bears as opposed to the Patriots. I think the longer Justin Fields is on the bench, the worse it is for the Chicago bears, because to me, that means he's not good enough at that point. He should beat out Andy Dalton. I don't believe in the red rocket or red rifle or whatever that they call him. He's aged. He was never an elite quarterback. He was always a serviceable quarterback. He couldn't win a playoff game with Cincinnati despite having one of the better defenses in the NFL for a long, long time when he was there. He obviously was not a guy who could help the Dallas Cowboys win a lot of games when he was there. I think with Andy Dalton, if he's starting, that's not good for the Chicago Bears because that means that Justin Fields is not good enough. The Bears did not draft Justin Fields to sit him on the bench. They drafted Justin Fields because they felt that they were really, really close and quarterback was that one position that they really needed to upgrade. Obviously, Mitch Trubisky, that was a disaster. This is a team that has to get it right at that position. Otherwise, it's going to be... What's the moniker of the Bears? Think about it. Spence, you're not that old. Chris, you're, you're a little older than me. Our entire lives with the Chicago Bears, it has always been... Great defense, good run game, terrible quarterback play. They won a Super Bowl with Jim McMahon. Jim McMahon, that guy's actually got two rings because he was a backup to Brett Favre when the Packers won the Super Bowl. But Jim McMahon, not a guy who's ever going to be mistaken to be an elite quarterback. Cool guy. I think when I was a kid, I wanted to be Jim McMahon. I had the headband. I had the sunglasses. I thought I was cool like Jim McMahon. But... He was a good quarterback. He wasn't an elite quarterback. If the Chicago Bears can ever, ever get it right at the quarterback position, they're going to be dangerous because they have so many good players on the other side of the ball. And that's a division where, especially you think about it, who might be leaving or who, in all probability, will not be in the division next year. The guy who plays a couple miles north of the border in Wisconsin up in up in Green Bay. So I, I, I think... For, for the Bears, I feel like Justin Fields has to be on the field for them to be a legit contender. 
Andy Dalton's not a guy who's taking you to the promised land. Maybe a guy who gets you on the fringe of the playoffs, not a guy who's getting you to the promised land. Justin Fields needs to be playing, and if he's not playing, it means he's not good enough at this point. So, Mags, you're saying that, uh, you know, Jim Miller and Rex Grossman and uh, Jay Cutler, they're not punching their tickets to the Hall of Fame? There's quarterbacks, my friend? Uh, oh, definitely not. Definitely not some of those guys. I mean, we could go through the list, didn't they? I'm trying to think of who was the guy they had. I think he played at Colorado State. I can't even think of his name. They've had a bunch of just guys. Like, I- I'm surprised your name isn't on that list, Chris. Exactly right, and I could sling it around a little bit back in the day. I was a starting quarterback in my freshman high school football team, by the way. So that's not bad at all. But uh, yeah, I mean, this sums it up right now, guys. Right, the quarterback that last won a Super Bowl for the Chicago Bears was routinely like curled up underneath tables, hung over, you know, just skipping out on practices. That's that's what we're talking about. We're talking about the Bears quarterback situation. It hasn't been great, as Mag pointed out. That's right. Uh, But I we have just a little bit of time, and I do want to get to fact this, and we'll get like one minute takes on this because I think it's really funny and kind of puts things in perspective, so let's go ahead and get into it. Facts this. If you don't like the facts, take your ass back to bed. Fact this. Yeah, it's a fact. Kevin Durant is absolutely delusional in my mind. So go ahead and take a listen to, uh, you know, KD and Draymond talk about why he left the team, and I'll give you my quick response on that. For my own personal um, sanity, I've been getting my ass kicked ever since you left. So just for my own personal sanity, how much did our argument against the Clippers drive you to ultimately lead the Warriors? It wasn't the argument. It was the, the way that everybody, Steve Kerr, act like it didn't happen. Bob Myers and tried to just discipline you and think that that would put the mask over everything. I really felt like that was such a big situation for us as a group. The first time we went through something like that, we had to get that all out. I remember watching the last dance, and when Scotty didn't go into the game, the whole team in the locker room said, Scotty, that was fucked up that you did that. We needed that. We just needed to throw all of that shit out on the table and say, yo, Dre, okay, like, that was fucked up that we even had to go through that. Let's just wipe our hands with that and go, go finish the task. In case you were ever wondering what keeps millionaires up at night, it's like niche interactions at Clippers games. But look, in my opinion, KD is he's such a goofball and such a silly little dude. He left because he thought winning a championship was going to like get rid of all of his problems and criticism of his career, and it made it worse. And he wasn't top dog at Golden State. That's why he left, not because the team didn't situ- didn't uh, you know deal with the problem with Draymond correctly. I don't know if you if you share that same sentiment, but I just feel like it's so silly hearing people even hearing them even talk about the situation like that. Yeah, there's so many things that come into play regarding the Warriors, right? And their, and their situation, whether it's injuries, whether it's, you know, obviously dynamics within the team. Uh, he's going to a situation now where you could argue he's in a better situation. He has a chance, a better chance to win an NBA championship. So I, to me, I think it's just kind of sour grapes on, on Kevin Durant's part. Yeah, sounds that way to me too. I mean, the thing is with Kevin Durant, let's look at, let's look at this non-objectively. If Draymond Green doesn't get ejected from a playoff series against the Cleveland Cavaliers, Kevin Durant probably is still a Golden State Warrior, regardless of what happened with the Clippers. Kevin Durant left because he wanted to win. He wanted to be the man on the team. I think he would have eventually become the man on Golden State because I think he's probably one of the top two or three players on the planet, despite the fact that it would have been in name Steph Curry's team. Kevin Durant would have been the man the reality is, if Draymond Green doesn't kick someone in the what did he do? He kicked someone in the, uh, the, the the private area. He's probably still a member of the Golden State Warriors, and that team might have been. An, they, they they probably end up beating the Toronto Raptors too. No doubt. So it looks like we are running out of time here. We'll end a little early. Uh, I want to thank Chris Wynn for joining the show. You can follow him on Twitter at Christian Wynn. I want to thank our producer Chris Magnum Chapman for producing and also being a part of the show. And uh, obviously, you know, I'm Spencer the Wiz. You can follow me on Twitter at Spencer the Wiz. Thank you guys so much for joining out of line today. Brian will be back next week on a regular scheduled time. Other than that, that's going to do it, you know, for today's broadcast. And we'll see you guys next time. Thank you very much.